So I want to start uh, this morning with a little quiz, okay? A little two-question quiz. The first quiz question is, what do you call this, the date that it is today? Anybody aware of this? Groundhog's Day, it is Groundhog's Day, but uh, I heard it first up here in the front row, a palindrome. What does a palindrome mean? Everyone's going, they're doing their fingers like this, forward and backwards, right? Say it forward, say it backwards, it still is a palindrome. Somebody give me another palindrome. And this has absolutely nothing to do with the message, by the way. I don't have a transition. Deanna? A man, a plan, a canal, Panama. I have to write that out to see. Uh, I take your word for it. Uh, Eric had a great one this morning. Eric, tell me this one. I've never heard of it before. Taco Cat. I mean, duh. You've seen that. Uh, I was thinking just something simple like Madam. Race Car. Wow. Mom, the three-letter ones are easy, okay? Uh, Now you're Googling, and I've totally lost you for the rest of the service. Uh, It really doesn't have anything to do with the message. Uh, It's quiz one of question one. The second uh, quiz question is this one. And if this is your first time here, you won't be able to get this right. But uh, someone tell me. What is slightly different about this mission statement this morning? And don't say what someone said earlier, the font. Okay, we're still centering, we're still centering lives on Jesus Christ, okay, but there's a subtle change that we've made here. No, it's not about the commas either. I think the commas are... What's the Oxford comma rule? I don't remember if it was Oxford comma in the previous one or not, but uh, we'll, we'll check with our sources and get back to you. Here's the deal. There's, there's a slight order change in those four strategies. It used to read, centering lives on Jesus Christ through genuine community was listed first, and we've moved biblical community, I mean, biblical teaching, excuse me. I get paid to talk. Uh, we've moved biblical teaching to the front. Okay, that's subtle. It's not a major deal, but here, here's the message that it sends, and I think something, and it communicates something that I think is already true about this gathering of Centennial Churches. The foundation for everything we do is the Bible. Uh, it doesn't mean that community is not important or less important, but community and even our mission and our worship is all founded and grounded upon God's word. In fact, we really wouldn't know how to center our lives on Jesus Christ if we didn't have the revelation of scripture to tell us about Jesus. Okay, I think this church uh, from its beginning has always been a church committed to biblical teaching, and we're going to continue that. This communicates that just subtly by putting it up at the beginning. Here's the thing I want to focus on uh, this morning, and what we've been actually focusing on the last few weeks um, is that where we could probably shore some things up is in those three other strategies. Being people of deeper worship. 
being a, a, a family of genuine community and being better as missionaries individually and corporately, locally and globally as a church. I got an amen over there. Uh, thank you, Baby Krebsbach. That's a confession that I forgot Baby Krebsbach's first name. Okay, so uh, there you go. Genuine community. Zeke, thank you, Deanna. Uh, we want to continue, I lost my train of thought, we want to continue to be a people uh, that look to the Word of God, but we also want to continue to push and, and be uh, not just a gathering of people, but a family, a community that knows one another and loves one another deeply. And we also want to grow as worshipers, and we also want to grow as missionaries, okay? Individually and corporately, locally and globally. We've been spending the beginning of this year talking about who we are becoming. And I told you that I was going to end the series today, uh, but I lied. Uh, so I decided uh, to go ahead and follow the leading of the Spirit because I want to talk about those three other strategies in the weeks to come, okay? And then when we get to March, we'll transition and begin to prepare for Easter but today, I want us to continue to talk about this idea of who we are becoming. And we've said over the last few weeks, what? We're centering lives on Jesus Christ, which is another way of saying the great commandment. When they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said what? Love God fully and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and that centering lives on Jesus Christ is an all-in thing. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we said that means holistic discipleship. We're loving God with all parts of our lives, okay? We don't get to exempt any corner of our life from the lordship of Jesus Christ, but the, that's the greatest commandment, love God. And the second is like it, to love your neighbors. We ought to be people that know and love our neighbors. Do you know your neighbor's names? That's one place to start. And not just literally your neighbors, but the people that you work with, the people that you go to school with, the teams that you're on, the other parents of folks that your kids play sports with. Wherever God has you, are you loving your neighbors? Because that, Jesus said, is the second of the great commandment. Love God and love your neighbors. And if we're really loving our neighbors genuinely, we will want to love them in an eternal kind of way, which means sharing this Jesus Christ with them so that they also can know his mercy, so they also can center their lives on Jesus Christ. And so we not only have a great commandment, but we have a great commission, right? And where's the great commission found? It's up there. You should know. Matthew 28. Jesus says, and some of his final words, go and make disciples. And I've said it for four weeks now. What is a disciple? A student. Thank you, Diana. Uh, a disciple is a student or a learner. So for the rest of our lives, we're following. We are disciples of Jesus. We're learners. We're followers. In fact, the word Christian is only used about three times, I think, in the New Testament. But the word disciple is used over a hundred times. We're students. We're learners. We're followers of Jesus. And that doesn't mean, by the way, that we shouldn't use the word Christian. But this word disciple of following and learning of Jesus, we are forever in the school of discipleship 
signed up under the teacher, the rabbi, Jesus, to follow him. Okay, so we've got the great commandment and the great commission to make disciples. And I defined a couple weeks ago, uh, making disciples simply just means helping others follow Jesus. A learner, a student, a disciple is, is one who helps, a, a disciple maker is one who's following Jesus himself and helping others make disciples also, right? Helping others follow Jesus as well. Now, is anybody intimidated by that at all? Uh, is it just me? You know, like, ah, that sounds, you know, really, I mean, that, that, that sounds like a really big deal. I mean, it's called the Great Commission. I, I don't know. I don't feel adequate. I don't feel equipped for that. And we've been trying to talk about this, and yet they're, they're, we all have some inadequacies about this. Here's a help that I'm excited to announce to you today, okay? Uh, we've got a parenting conference in February. In March, I'm going to begin a class, a group, uh, on Wednesday nights to do a study to learn this idea of discipleship. The class is going to be called Multiply, okay? Wednesday nights how to be a disciple, and how to make disciples of others. Okay, it's going to be an eight-week class. Going to ask you to commit to some homework and stuff. But if, if you really want, man, I don't feel adequate, I don't equipped, I want to encourage you. We'll begin signing up for this in a couple of weeks, okay? But this is the preview coming up uh, in March. It'll start after spring break, okay? Multiply. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to take us to another great commission passage, but this one in the book of Acts. Okay, so turn with me to Acts chapter 1, to the Apostle Luke's great commission passage. Acts chapter 1. And we're going to see in Acts chapter 1, really just one verse, we're going to see what, where, and how. Okay, what, where, and how. And so I want to read actually verses 6 through 8 of Acts chapter 1, and then we'll quickly work through this, okay, and then end with some applications uh, for us. So beginning at verse 6 of Acts chapter 1, Luke writes, So when they had come together, they asked him, Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so here we go. What, where, and how? What is the what? What's the what? The what is... Our calling, what he has called us, and you find it there in verse 8, underline or circle the word witnesses. Disciples then and now are called to be witnesses. Witnesses to the rabbi we follow, Jesus. It's just another way of saying disciple. A disciple is a student, a learner. A disciple is a witness. But that intimidates many of us. I have to be a witness of Jesus. That means I have to say something, right? Oh, I don't know. I'd rather just kind of live my life and like let people see Jesus through my works. Okay, that's great. 
to love your neighbors and to do good works. But guess what? There was a perfect man who walked this earth 2,000 years ago and, and did great works. His name was Jesus, and he still spoke. He had to tell people the way to life, as do his disciples, okay? Witnesses speak of Jesus. Now, here's where we get turned all around the axle and wound up tight, and is because we think witnessing we, we think witnessing is actually more than it is. Like, most of our intimidation and fear comes from the fact that, like, they're going to ask me questions that I don't know how to answer, or they're, gonna, they're not going to like me because I stand up for Jesus, or I speak his name, or I say that he's the only way to salvation. We get tied up about that because of our fears, and we also think it's, it's our job to convince them or kind of be a salesman and seal the deal, right? That's the pressure a lot of us feel. I got to go be a Jesus salesman and close the deal. No, you don't. And this is where looking at the word witness is helpful is helpful for disciple making because what is a witness? First of all, you need to think about what a witness is not. This will help you, I hope. What is a witness not? This is legal language here that Jesus is using. And a witness is not, get this, the judge. Jesus has not called you to judge whether someone is going to heaven and hell, whether they should believe, will believe, won't believe. Uh, I'm not going to share the gospel with my you know, in-laws because I just know they'll never believe. You're not the judge. You're just what? The witness. What does a witness do? Tells the truth, gets up on the stand and says, this is what I know. This is what I saw. This is my testimony. This is what I know. This is what I saw. This is what I've experienced. What is a witness not? A witness is not a judge. Guess what a witness is also not? A witness is also not an attorney. Thank God we don't have to be attorneys. Just kidding. I always have to make an attorney joke, it seems like. Sorry, nervous energy. Um, We also get tied up in knots because we, have, we feel like we have to deliver the closing argument. And I apologize if you're an attorney here this morning visiting. We love you and so does Jesus. <laughs> what, what do we feel like we have to do? We, an attorney has to give the, the just great rhetoric, rhetorical skills, whatever that word is, rhetorical skills, give the brilliant closing argument to seal the case, to convince people. Guess what? Jesus hasn't called us to be winsome attorneys. Great with rhetorical skills. He's called us to be witnesses, which means tell what you know, even if it's just a little bit. Even if all you know is that you were once lost and now you're found. You were once guilty and now you're forgiven. You were once blind, but now you see that is a witness. So don't get turned around about or upside down about being a missionary or being a witness. Because remember, I hope this is helpful you, remember what you're not. You're not the judge and you're not the attorney. You're the witness and only the witness. God doesn't hold us responsible for how many people believe on account of our testimony. He just holds us accountable to witness and to take the stand. Amen? That's the what. Now let's look at the where. We are witnesses. Where? Well, 
in the first century here, verse 8, Jesus gives them directions. He gives them a map, if you will. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, quiz question number three, where were the guys when Jesus told them this? Where were they standing? Where were their feet? Answer is up in verse 4. Look back up at verse 4. Where were they? While staying there with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Answer, they were in Jerusalem. And look where he tells them to go. Jerusalem. Where were they to start? Over somewhere else? No, right where their feet were, in Jerusalem. And then he says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And this, and the ends of the earth, the uttermost is the old KJV. And this is where we can bring that map up now, because now those of us that love maps get to look at a map. And those of us that don't love maps get to just close our eyes for a couple minutes until we are, so we won't be dizzy. Um, This is the Mediterranean Sea. This down here is Africa. You see, this is Egypt. This is the Holy Land right over here. It's really, really small. It's been blown up up here in the right. But what you need to see is that this is Jerusalem, and that's where they are when Jesus gives them this assignment to be witnesses. And so he says, hey, be witnesses in Jerusalem right where you are. But then Judea is actually the province, if you will, or you might call it city and state, if you'd like to. So Judea is the wider concentric circle, if you will. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, Jerusalem, start where you are, then go out to Judea, and then Samaria, and then where? To the ends of the earth. And he wasn't saying this to guys that were living in 2020 that had the internet and airplanes and cell phones. He was saying this to guys that were walking around in sandals. And he says, be my witnesses, but this is the important thing. Where? Start where you are. Start where you go. Wherever your feet take you, wherever you're standing, or wherever you're standing on Monday morning, start there. Not in Samaria. Not to the ends of the earth. Now, will some of us go to Romania, to the Middle East, wherever? I hope so. But the point, Jesus says, is start where you are. Maybe you've seen a sign in our lobby that says this. It says, start here, go everywhere. Start here, go everywhere. You're a missionary. You're a witness. Where do you start? Right where you are. It might be on Sunday morning with the kids in our classes. It might be on Sunday afternoon with the neighbors that you invite over to watch a game. It might be in the office you go to on Monday morning. But you're going to go somewhere. So where are your feet taking you? There's a geographical emphasis here that Jesus gives us. You can also think of this in a cultural way. Because Jesus is saying, you start where you are. These are kind of the Jerusalem. These are kind of your peeps, your folks. Then Judea, go Texas, the Lone Star State. But then he says Samaria. And what was their first reaction when they heard the word Samaria? Their their first reaction was Sooners. You know, sorry, Becky. That they might be close, 
but they ain't our peeps. And Jesus is saying, start where you are, but even go to the peeps that are culturally different from you. Maybe they have a different background. Maybe they have different skin color. Maybe their language is different. But pray for them. Love them. Love them like a neighbor. Love them as yourself. And tell them the good news. Witness to them. Start here and then go everywhere. And Jesus gives us this responsibility to be global Christians to the ends of the earth. And so last week I challenged this. Do you, do your family, do you have a global partnership? You praying for John? You praying for crew? You praying for Gain, our missionary Stephen and Genevieve? I don't see him this morning. But you praying for people in Haiti, Step Seminary? Because what Jesus says in Matthew 28, as well as Acts 1.8, is he says in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of who? All the nations, all the ethne is the Greek word. And then right here in Acts 1.8, he pounds it again and says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. So guess what? You and I have a local and a global responsibility. Local and global. When you become a follower of Jesus, you don't get to be a racist anymore. Because Jesus loves the whole world. And he died on the cross for every color of skin, for every race, for every tongue, for every nation. And so when you become a Christian, you get a new heart. And it's hard to love your neighbors. And it's also a heart to love the nations. So let us repent of any type of prejudice, racism that we have. And let us be part of God's global mission. Local and global. Where are you going this afternoon? Where are you going this week? That's your mission field. Identify it. Begin praying for those people that you see every day. I, I work with a bunch of Christians. You know, <laughs> that's a good thing. So I have to think, you know, a couple years ago, I was like, I, I, don't even, I don't even know anyone that doesn't go to my church. I had to start going to the same gal to cut my hair every month so I could just develop a relationship with someone that wasn't a church person. Maybe before you get out of your car tomorrow morning, before you go into school or before you go into the office, you need to sit in your car and you just pray, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for these five people I know I'm going to run into today, and I'm going to ask Jesus that you give me a heart for them. And then one simple way is just to begin praying for them and then to begin caring for them and asking God to give you an opportunity to share the mercy of Jesus, the good news of Jesus with them. Ah, I'm still not sure I know how to do that. Come to multiply, okay? We'll talk more about that. But here's a question. There's a geographic, there's a cultural aspect to it, barriers. But let me ask you these, let me ask you these two questions. Where do your feet go and where does your heart go? Where do your feet go? We just talked about that. But where, where does your heart go? There also may not only just cultural difference, but there may be just like this need that God has put in you as his son or daughter. Like, man, I really care about 
teen moms. Where's your heart go out? Man, I just really have a burden for, for the poor and the homeless. Man, I, I really have a, a heart for middle school kids. That may be your mission field locally. Man, I just have this heart for Ethiopia. God took me there 20 years ago. I just, I just have this heart for Ethiopia or whatever it might be for you. Where do your feet go? Where do your heart go? Where does your heart go? But start here and go everywhere. But start. That's the where. What, where, and then finally, how, right? How. How do we do this? Well, I said, you know, one way just a second ago. Prayer, care, share. Begin praying for some people. God, change my heart. Lord, help me love them. Lord, help me show care for them. And then give me opportunities and give me boldness to share the gospel with them. We have some little uh, booklets out on the Connection Center called The Story. You can pick some of those on the way out. You can download the app, The Story, okay? The Story, they're out on the Connection Center. That'll help you talk with someone about who Jesus is and what he's done. And how he's bringing about this new kingdom. Okay? Prayer, care, share. But here's the thing from the passage that I want to bring out. Okay? How? Multiply too. You could get in that class. That'll help you learn how. But listen to Jesus' words. The answer is in verse 8. How do you do this? You can only do it according to Jesus when the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Otherwise, you're toast. Never going to happen. But if the Holy Spirit is in you, that means you have the power of the Holy Spirit to give you courage and the right words to say when you need to say them. So how do you do it? You do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, as Garrett prayed earlier, that we need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to pull this off. Otherwise, we can't do it by ourselves. So this verse, 8, is incredibly offensive and incredibly encouraging. It's offensive because it, guess, it says, guess what? You're powerless. Oh, bummer. I thought I could do some good stuff. No, Jesus says in John 15, 5, similar passage, he says, abide in me, apart from me, you can do nothing. Like, you can't do anything of value eternally if you don't abide in Jesus. How do you be a witness? How do you be a missionary to your workplace or wherever your feet take you? Only in the power of the Spirit. Only by relying on the Holy Spirit and say, Spirit, I'm getting ready to go into a war zone here on Monday morning, and I need your help because I know I am toast without your power, without the boldness that comes through your indwelling presence, right? You will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, my ambassadors, my missionaries to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Start here and go everywhere, right? The thing that I said last week, I want to bang home again this morning, and that is, we will not win people to Jesus by putting on a great concert here at 4659 Coit Road. Now, we could put on a great concert, but Jesus said, go and be my witnesses out there. And what I said last week is for a long time, the Western church has been trying to make everything cooler and everything more attractive and everything, you know, glitzier and more glamorous and more techie and all this stuff. And there's nothing wrong with technology and there's not, nothing wrong with concerts. And say, okay, world, come to us. Come to us and we'll tell you about Jesus. And that has worked for a season and a generation and a culture. But guess what? The season is ending. The culture is changing. And in fact, Jesus never said, hey, tell the world to come to church. He said, in fact, tell the church to go to the world. One of my favorite seminary professors, Howard Hendricks, said it like this. He said, I can't find any verses of Scripture that tell the world to go to church. But I can find lots of verses of Scripture that tell the church to go to the world. Hey, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you need Jesus. Believe in him. Trust in him. And every week there might be half a dozen, half a dozen, handful of people that walk through the doors of Centennial Church that are looking for Jesus and hopefully will find him at 1030 on Sunday mornings. But guess what? At 1145-ish, when we break out of here, there's going to be a hundred of us that go out of these doors to a whole world that ain't looking for Jesus, but need Jesus. And that's why the first word of the Great Commission is not come, but go. Go and make disciples of who? All nations. Who? Just the twelve just the preacher, just the elders or the church staff? No, all disciples, all students, all learners. Go and be disciple makers of all nations. Start here and go everywhere. They're not coming to us. Jesus said, go to them. So as our band comes up, I want to give you just a couple minutes to ponder and ask yourself two questions, okay? Two questions. Where do your feet go? Where does your heart go? Okay, so maybe it's more than two questions. Where do your feet go? Where does your heart go? And then secondly, who is God sovereignly placed in your path to influence for Jesus?
Maybe just bow your head for a minute and think about that. And then I'll close this. Father God, thank you for your mercy that has come to us in Jesus and has purpose to flow through us to others. And God, I just, I confess before my brothers and sisters here this morning, I'm a preacher, I'm a pastor, and I get scared to speak of Jesus to my friends and neighbors. Lord, I pray that you would give me greater boldness, greater confidence in the gospel, greater confidence in your word, and, and a deeper love for the lonely and the lost and the hungry and the hurting all around me in my neighborhood and elsewhere. Oh, God, give me courage. Give us courage. God, help us to do it out of a genuine love for Jesus ourselves. Lord, may we be and more in love with you. May you help us to love one another better. May you help us to love this world and be salt and light in this very messed up, broken world. God, we thank you that you uh, you said come to you, but you didn't just say come to you. You came to us. You sent us a missionary. You sent us a savior. You sent one to this earth to do what only you could do. To give us mercy when we desperately needed it. Thank you for coming to us. And I pray, Lord, that we would continually come back to you and you would help us as we go out in this world for you. Renew our hearts. Change us. In the name of Jesus, for his glory, we pray.